Hi Trifantry squad, welcome back to another amazing episode of Trifantry Chronicles. Today we travel all the way to Italy and then to UK to meet our friend Nick Busca. Nick is a world famous sports journalist. He writes for BBC, CNN, The New York Times, The Guardian, you name a publication and he's written for them. He is also a triathlon coach and a ski instructor and he's a sub 10 Ironman athlete himself. So without further ado uh, tune in to this episode where we discuss about sleep nutrition the effects of alcohol the effects of coffee and uh, what it takes to do a ironman race in covid times like these he recently completed ironman estonia in september 2020 he shares all the experiences that he went through so sit back relax and enjoy trifantry chronicles Hello listeners welcome back to another amazing inspiring episodes of uh, Trifantry Chronicle today we travel all the way to Italy and then to UK and meet our friend Nick Busca uh, let me tell you about Nick Nick uh, is the voice of triathlon as i like to call him the new voice of triathlon Nick is a Ironman certified coach he is also an athlete and Nick writes about triathlons and racing in general in uh, bbc he is written for new york times he's written for guardian he's written for triathlon magazine canada and various other publications without further ado let me welcome nick 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 thank you for doing this thank you for coming over the show thank you very much for having me it's a great pleasure and i don't know about the voice of triathlon but i'll take it <laughs> no absolutely your uh, articles are uh, helping various uh, athletes of different uh, abilities uh, with different levels to learn more about racing and how you know the culture is evolving how did you get into triathlons and uh, tell us a bit about uh, uh, your love for triathlons well first that's great to hear that uh, you feel like um, my articles are helping people because I, i i rarely get the feedback so it's nice to to hear that there is a value in there so that's that's good and thank you for that So I started triathlon relatively late in my year. I was uh, 25 years old uh, at university in a period where I was not very fit and wanted to kind of um, start swimming again after 10 years of not, no swimming at all. I was doing 25 meters in the, in the swimming pool and that was it, done, uh, cooked. So I started pretty late because my real background in sports was uh, alpine skiing. I grew up in the Italian Alps so lived in a small village in uh, in the Alps for 25 years where alpine skiing so downhill skiing uh, was the main thing uh, of course we also had cross country skiing but uh, downhill was more fun so that's <laughs> that's why I started with that first triathlon as i said i started uh, when i was 25 and uh, when i was at university in torino you might know because of Juventus uh, soccer team football team which is in the northwest of Italy not far from the french and swiss border so up north and um, yeah i started with a with a triathlon team in torino uh, a small team and uh, my coach at that time was uh, vladimir polikarpenko a former olympian athlete from the ukraine So I didn't know him very much or at all actually but I was very lucky to be coached by him in the first place because I've got 
pretty tough uh, lessons learned in the, in the first months, but um, definitely a, a great start. At that time, it was just for, for, for fun and again, a way to get fit again. And then uh, things got more serious probably when I moved here in the UK in 2015. So five years ago, about five years after I started triathlon and uh, I joined a bigger club uh, with, where people were more uh, driven probably and more uh, focused on long distance events. And from a summer experience or summer training triathlon evolved into a all year round activity for me. And I started coaching uh, three years ago. I did uh, the first level with British Triathlon, which is the uh, Triathlon Federation in the UK. And then the Ironman coaching qualification as well. And then I continued with the Federation. So I did two more courses with them. And then I keep, I keep learning. I keep learning every year. I try to do a course or two just to like uh, be on top of what's going on. And um, and learn also to transmit and to 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 give what I learned to my to my current athletes. Uh, that in the that that is about the, my triathlon experience. On the other side, and on the, at the same time, I've been uh, working as a freelance journalist for ten years as well. Uh, I started at the university when I was studying. I was covering news and politics and events, a little bit of sports at that time, but not much. And again, I had to adapt and change when I moved in the UK, the UK five years ago. And that's when I started to uh, report about cycling and about triathlon specifically. And now is most of what I do in terms of the journalism. So the two things kind of evolved uh, separately in different uh, directions, but then they, they merged. And now it's, uh, I, I do one thing, which is triathlon and sports in general. And I, yeah, but do it in different ways, which is good with the coaching or the journalism and, and so on. That's awesome, Nick. Uh, I think they say that uh, people who are able to converge their profession and their passion into, you know, uh, together, they are probably the luckiest people on this planet. And uh, even if you're able to do some of it, uh, you are probably one of the most lucky guys. So, uh, Nick, uh, let me also tell you a bit about the triathlon and marathon and cycling scenes in India. It's pretty new. Uh, triathlons, in fact, is very new. It's probably a couple of uh, years uh, old when the mainstream Ironman event came to India. And uh, we've had some uh, smaller event, Olympic and 70.3 distance races uh, organized in the last four to five years. And uh, I would uh, really like to understand from you, like, how can we grow this uh, seen in India because it's been there. Cycling is probably like 100 years old in Europe. Uh, is that right? More than 100 years old. And it's pretty new in India. So uh, what do you have to say about uh, growing the culture of cycling and triathlons? That's a, that's a big question and a big responsibility. I don't want to be quoted. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. And I think it's very interesting to, um, to see places like India or other countries where these sports are developing for me it's 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 very um, new in the sense I, in the sense that I grew up with cycling as one of my main sports 
in Italy is historic, as you mentioned. Yeah, we have uh, Grand Tours races like the Giro d'Italia, who's been going on for more than 100 years. So I grew up with cycling being one of the norm. Like you have uh, football, soccer, <laughs> soccer, <laughs> and then uh, cycling was my other main big sports that I followed. So I was, I remember when I was a kid just watching these races, these four or five hour long races at the TV when outside the sun was shining and we had amazing days, but I couldn't care less. I just wanted to watch the race and then hop on my bike and just like try to be, to be like the, those cyclists. So it's, it's interesting to see countries where this has not been the norm. And I guess to develop it, at, at some extent, there's definitely need to be uh, interest in the in, in the people, like demand for these sort of activities, and then support different kind of supports, could, which could be uh, media exposure, but uh, governing bodies like uh, the federation, the national federation, which are supposed to provide for a um, for a platform for youngsters to develop in their sports. Not not that these happen all the times but <laughs> that's what are uh, aiming at and then for sure private and uh, individual um, uh, investments like uh, people investing in in, uh, in, co in smaller companies which could be coaching companies like yourself that are voices that uh, didn't exist uh, a few years ago so there's a combination of different uh, dynamics, I guess. That would be my, my answer. But uh, yeah, they all come together probably in developing the demand and in developing the interest that could people have. And also to like make happening uh, what people didn't have and would like to see. Absolutely. I think uh, one other thing which, uh, which needs to happen is uh, that you have in Europe, you have a lot of amazing brands that are creating quality products, uh, which are easily available for you. Like if I have to order a smart trainer or maybe an accessory for my bike, I literally have to, uh, you know, import it through a couple of dealers and I have to wait for like months together. That kind of just kills the vibe and uh, stuff then obviously becomes even more expensive. Whatever equipment and, you know, bikes and, uh, by computers and accessories, whatever is available to you, it's almost like 1.5x what is available in India. So I think if that uh, problem can also be solved, uh, that will help uh, in people sort of uh, taking up sports. Yeah, you told me something I didn't know. And I mean, I know that different countries have different supplies and different uh, um, ways to get products. But for example, yeah, you highlighted probably the most important thing, the possibility to get stuff that gets you out there and do sports. Not that you need uh, a lot to start in triathlons. It could be very, very basic uh, gear. And I actually am supporting of uh, a way of like keeping it simple. But yes, if you have issues in getting uh, uh, products that, yeah, it, it's an extra barrier that needs to be overcome. Yeah, just imagine like uh, Hollywood movies releasing everywhere across the world together in India, but you don't have uh, systems or, uh, you know, channels where trainers or various other these things are not really available. Like I'll share a personal experience because of COVID, uh, we were all stuck at home for the longest time. 
and uh, there's a good part also there's a bad part a uh, good part is that uh, people realize the importance of health and fitness and maybe outdoor sports even more more than uh, gymming and all uh, so that uh, is helping uptick the uh, uptick of uh, triathlons and running and cycling but on the other hand there is such a issue for uh, supply side that if you are looking for a bike a decent uh, road bike a carbon frame bike you literally have to wait for 4 5 months same mm-hmm. goes with the trainers also i ordered one in the month of uh, may it got cancelled june july got cancelled august got and i'm still waiting for my shipment in september i hope you get it by yeah by yeah before the, you start using for the winter months i hope the vaccine is uh, comes out faster than the trainer <laughs> well that 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 we all hope <laughs> absolutely nick uh, you have been writing for one of the major publications on the in the world and uh, i'm sure a lot of people get to read it online and in the physical newspapers tell us about your experience of uh, writing for the sport and uh, how uh, you know how you got into segwayed into writing for particular sports um as i said i started um, uh, working more on triathlon and cycling 5 uh, years ago and that coincided to to me writing in english for the first time because i was writing in, in italian before um so I, as a freelance it's just about pitching stories to editors so essentially is to have uh, an idea and secondly to have the right email address <laughs> to to pitch that idea and then yeah you you have to like follow up and uh, be there all the time knocking at the door make sure they read the email or that you can pass on to the next magazine so that's the basic of it um then i worked for a second magazine in the uk for a little longer for 6 uh, months as a full time writer and i was testing bikes and gear and writing about uh, cycling uh but then i i kept doing freelancing uh because the the company moved so the commute was not doable anymore and i focused more and more on on triathlon and cycling so i i kept just like writing about um training about uh, personalities about races so it's always trying to have ideas to pitch to magazines with different angles different um uh, storylines that could work with salmons and not with others it's it's a constant effort it's like a constant training you need to wake up in the morning and uh yeah keep the keep the flow goes absolutely uh, you are also a anman coach and uh, you ha- you help athlete with their own goals uh, how do you uh, manage your coaching your writing your professional life and your personal life yeah not always easy but i think uh, what i've learned in the last years is having boundaries for all of the above if you let all these areas to 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 interfere with the others then you will probably then you will definitely burn out and uh, you will lose uh, contact with what you're doing and it is not sustainable so i have a dedicated time for the coaching i have a dedicated time for uh, freelancing and i i have and my priorities of course is is my family and that is priority number 1 so i have to protect the time i have at home and when i need to stop uh working like 
6 p.m., 6.30, 7 p.m., I just switch off and that, that, that's it for the day. You have to protect that time to, to be healthy and to, to enjoy what you um, treasure the most in your life because otherwise, yeah, it would be too much work. This is absolutely, I mean, uh, listeners or viewers, uh, remember to balance it out because the sport of triathlon asks a lot from you. Uh, on an average, if you're preparing for a 70.3, you would uh, be putting at least 10 to 12 hours of uh, training. And uh, if you're doing full, then you'll be putting even more. And if you're doing any ultra cycling events, probably even more. So like Nick just mentioned, having boundaries, uh, balancing everything out is one of the most important part of uh, not just racing, but life in general. Yeah, absolutely. W what are your thoughts on... Uh, uh, sleep and how is it uh, important should people be focused on uh, getting their hours of sleep followed by nutrition so what are your thoughts on these two areas yeah without sleep and without proper fueling there's nothing that you could do in a good way in the sense that i i always tell my athletes but i always tell myself and people who wants to perform in any activity uh, could it be sport, but it could be uh, just like getting up and go to to your to your job into your office. You need to be uh, well rested to to perform at certain level. And if you start to take times off your sleep uh, in the long term, it's not going to work. I mean, you can get away a couple of days here and there, but if it's a if it's a habit, not sleeping enough or not sleeping well because it's not just the quantity, but the quality of sleep that makes a difference. Then um, long-term, anything you do, it's, it's, it's becoming too, too hard to sustain. Nutrition as well. Uh, nutrition, uh, I, because of my culture, because Italy is very much into food, uh, I'm, I'm really into good food, good quality food. So good products or um, whole foods normally and raw stuff um that i cook myself and uh, i don't get too much uh, takeaways for example is we can we can make it very complicated but in, in, in uh, at the end of the war at the of the day it's we keep it simple and keep it very basic i try to have a balanced diet with all three macronutrients constantly in and then you can play around a little bit with uh, the days you train less and train more but make sure you've got enough energy to do not only triathlon, but any activities you do in your life. Plus, if you add all those hours of training, you need to be more careful. And uh, if you're vegetarian or vegan, it's, it's, it's possible to, to be an athlete and having those dietary restrictions, you just need to um, be put an extra effort in order to, uh, to match the needs yeah. Nick, what are your thoughts on uh, alcohol consumption for a triathlete or uh, a cyclist or a marathoner? How much would you recommend if you recommend anything? Well, my, my easy answers would be better not to. I mean, uh, that's a no-brainer for me just because I feel like the benefits. Even, for, even when I drink, and I drink a beer here and there, of course, and a glass of wine, I, I'm not saying athletes don't have to, but uh, of course, if you look at research and if you look at effects of alcohol into to, to your 
um, to your sleep and sleep quality, then there will be a no-brainer to say, I'm not going to drink a beer uh, at dinner and I skip it. So, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying don't drink because if you enjoy having a, a beer and a glass of wine, you shouldn't keep it, uh, take it out your, uh, of your uh, habits of having one here and there. I'm just saying, yeah, if you want to reduce a little bit, just reduce step by step. Don't just uh, take it all away altogether and just like keep it as a social moment. It's totally fine. Uh, again, the less you consume, the better. Uh, that's hard to accept <laughs> if you want for some, but that's easy as it could be. I, I specifically asked this question because this is uh, one of the most common questions. In fact, uh, right before racing, also some athletes tend to ask me, you know, uh, is it okay if I have like a couple of uh, uh, whiskey pegs and all before the race? I'm like, get off alcohol. Whiskey? Whiskey or, you know, beer or whiskey. I'm like... <laughs> whiskey, maybe, maybe it would be hard before a race. You don't go straight on the bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's a it's a common question, and uh, in fact, uh, funny funny part is uh, that people also tell you that uh, like beer is considered to be anti-inflammatory. I'm like, okay, don't. Yeah. There's there's a lot about uh, about that in beer, but if you look at the research and studies, uh, I mean, the, the benefits are known. They they cannot. They, they have some um, impact on performances and some studies even suggest that there's not a big correlation about uh, if you consume one beer and performance. But I would not suggest to people just like, just drink because <laughs> some studies suggest that there's no yeah, correlation. Yeah. I, I was used to a um, couple of years ago with some friends when I, when I moved here to the UK before a big event the night before just having a pint with my friend because it was like, oh, it's a tradition. <laughs> But no, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm just like, uh, yeah, I cannot do it anymore. I would be probably sleep bad. And that's, that's the thing. You don't want to sleep bad. Yeah. But you're trying to sleep as, 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 as good as you can before an event. Any which ways one has so much uh, goosebumps or butterflies in your stomach, it's hardly able, you're hardly able to sleep like a day or two before the race. Yeah, no, that's that's something you always have to put into consideration. Yeah, of course. Uh, but sometimes you can. I lately slept very well. And you can feel the difference when you wake up on race day and you've slept actually like a good four, five, even four or five hours, like good quality. It's like, oh, I'm fresh. Yeah, <laughs> do it. absolutely. Uh, in fact, I, uh, three couple of uh, races, uh, I've not done many 70.3s, but... Uh, one race, I was uh, I could sleep well, uh, and the other race, my first race, uh, I could not sleep because it was obviously my first race. The difference was huge. You can literally just feel uh, you are more calmer, you are more relaxed, and fresh. Yeah, the mind is clear. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I personally feel that maybe alcohol would be counterintuitive because. When, you know, we are put, putting so much effort on uh, hydration and salination and all of that, alcohol by design is supposed to drain you out. So all the efforts you're putting in, in the hydration part of it is not uh, going to be that helpful when it comes to hydration, right? Yeah. 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 So, Anik, coming to an important part of uh, the conversation, you recently did a full Ironman at Estonia and... Uh, 
this is important because uh, this was one of the very few races that happened across the world all the races across the world are cancelled how was your experience uh, racing during the covid times so the, the hardest part was probably getting there to like at the start line i mean really because uh, first event was postponed from august 1st to september 5th and we're talking yeah about uh, ironman tallinn in estonia and then i was pretty much sure that following like other events most of ironman events this year it would have been uh, deferred to next year but actually the organizers were always positive and always sure the event was going ahead and i was really really not sure that it was true but i stick to the plan stick to my training uh, of course swimming was hard because our pools opened in end of july so a month before the race so for two months i was just swimming in lakes so i was uh, hiring a car uh, and driving to the lakes twice a week here in london then i did some more swim trainings i kept my running and my cycling going as if the race was going ahead the other the hard part was like uh, seeing the infection rates in different countries in Europe spiking up again during the summer. And there was this threshold that is 16 uh, uh, infection per, per 100,000 people. And there was the, 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 the threshold uh, for Estonia uh, to, 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 to be required to self-quarantine if your country was above the 16 and not to self-isolate if the country was below 16. So I booked my flights from London when we were like 12. And I was like, oh, fine, it's four weeks. <laughs> we're not going to go back to 16 because it was going down. And then the week after, they were back up to 14. I was like, oh, my God. And then they kept going up, going up, and going up. So it was like, not sure I was actually being able to get there, although the race was going ahead. And that was very, very stressful. So. I was not alone and a lot of other people in Europe had the same problem. We were all writing to the organizer on Facebook, on emails anyway, and they were really, really amazing in responding pretty quickly. And they were keep saying that there's, there's always the option to defer to 2021 if you cannot travel to Estonia for, um, for COVID related uh, issues. So two weeks before the event, uh, I was seeing the numbers keep going up. And so there was like, okay, so either I wait uh, the week before the event to decide to, to see how the numbers are and decide to go or not. Or I just decide to go there two weeks um, plus before the event in order to comply with self-isolation uh, because the numbers were going up and uh, being fine to race. So I actually decided to change the flight so i spent three hours at the phone with easyjet <laughs> the company to change the flight three hours i was i will always remember those three hours at the phone with easyjet no just listening to the to the music and then uh, when we spoke we spoke for like 10 minutes but yeah three hours wait in line so i decided to travel two weeks before change the flight uh, change the airbnb Luckily, when I landed in Tallinn, the numbers in, uh, in the UK were 0 0.4 below the threshold. 
I mean, super lucky. So I was not uh, obliged to self-isolate. So I had a great two weeks of training in Tallinn, actually better than here because the pools were open and I actually trained on race course all the time. So I knew it by heart. And at that time, in Tallinn, sorry, sorry. Uh, you had to be in Tallinn two weeks before the race itself, at least two weeks. Yes, if the country was on the red, like above 16, in order to comply to the self-isolation. I was not there yet, but the numbers were going up. So I just like took the gamble and said, okay, I'm going two weeks before. And even if I'm red country, I will self-isolate. But then the UK numbers were a little bit below the threshold. So I was free to, to train and do, uh, and do all the rest freely. But that was not the case for a person I, I met there who was traveling from the Netherlands. So she's self-isolated for two weeks. So just going out for grocery and training was allowed. Like you could have run and cycled, but not swimming. And she complied to that. And then one week before the event, they changed the immigration rule again. So even if you were traveling from the above 16 threshold, uh, you could have raised Ironman Tallinn if you're taking two different COVID tests. It could have been either 72 hours before your flight and then upon arrival in Estonia. So you had to, you had to, you needed to have two negative tests or you could have done two tests, one arriving in Estonia and one two days after, but that would have been too, too close to race day. So people were like booking uh, tests before flying and then one test upon arrival. And then if they had two negatives, they were allowed to race. And they actually just tested positive one person who was uh, uh, then put into uh, quarantine in, a, in an hotel in Estonia for two weeks. So as you can see, we're not even at the race. <laughs> I I'm, I'm thinking of the, all the logistics, like you're supposed to carry your bike, your nutrition, you're worried about your hotel, your accommodation, travel, and on top of it, the stress of COVID. Yeah. No, absolutely. You, you know, I mean, organizing and training and getting to an event like this is already always a big stress. You add up all this, it's just becoming insanely hard. And yeah, uh, so New York Times carried this, right? You uh, wrote uh, this article for New York Times. Yeah, I pitched them um, the story just before uh, traveling to Estonia and got a commission while I was there. And uh, yeah, basically we, we wanted to, to, to tell people what I was experiencing. And uh, that's, that's what I tried to do. Not only the, the, the logistic nightmare to get there, but then how their safety measures were put in place. Because now the, the big news in Ironman racing, at least um, as I experience it, is that uh, you have uh, given check-in times for uh, uh, getting your, your gear and your registration pack. So you have certain allowed times to get that on, on race week. And that is also true for uh, dropping your, your bike uh, at transition one the day before the event and dropping your, not, not, the run, not the run stuff, but the bike stuff. So you have specific times to do all these tasks during the week, which could sound uh, a lot, but actually made 
um, the stay there and all the process a little bit smoother because you knew uh, what to do and when. And normally I have experienced that the weeks uh, of the Ironmans, I tend to like lose a little bit of time because I was, I always like try to do these things at last minute just to like, or at, as, as early as, as I can. Um, having times actually helped me to just like plan and booked it a little bit better. Then when you get to registration, uh, there's of course a line of people because uh, they need to be, they need to have uh, not a lot of people, uh, a maximum number of people is 69 per wave to get on each, on each different waves. So there's a little uh, queue to get to registration. The first thing they do is checking your body temperature with um, one of the not touchable uh, uh, one. And then you've got either the green light or the red light if your temperature is above 38 degrees. But as far as I know, they didn't uh, test anyone above 38. So green light towards uh, the registration. And um, you get your race pack, you show your QR code, you get your race pack, of course, you show your, your license, and, and then you get your, your bag with, uh, with your things for the, for the race. Everyone is wearing masks. You are asked to wear a mask. If you don't have one, they give you one. They ask you to uh, sanitize your hands before entering, entering of course. And um, so it's, it's very, um, it's very uh, strict in those processes, but it worked pretty smoothly for me. I looked at my watch and it took seven minutes from start to finish. So that was very, very efficient. But I also know of other people spending more time, uh, more time there because the queues were longer. Uh, because if you're not showing up at your giving time, you're, ask, you're, you're asked to, to come back later. So if there's people missing their time slots, then they accumulate on different times and it could be, uh, yeah, more weight. Wow. I think uh, in our coaching curriculum, we need to add this as one of the drills, like fixing flat or checking yeah. one of the races. Make sure you have, uh, yeah, face masks and hand sanitizer always with you. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's a new normal and will, will stick uh, in triathlon races for a few years for sure. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I, I, any, any race from now on will have these safety procedures uh, in place. Yeah, I mean, uh, thanks for sharing this story, Nick, because uh, I think uh, COVID and racing in times of COVID is going to be new normal at least next two, three years, four years, what uh, people are projecting. And so I think this uh, particular knowledge, the information will uh, certainly help people in planning. Nick, uh, there is a bit of... Uh, uh, dilemma in the minds of people for registering their for their 2021 season, 2022 season. What do you have to say about it? Because now you've experienced it firsthand. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? So no, I, as I experienced that is possible, some race will go ahead depending on the different situation in different countries. I probably will be able to uh, experience events that are more local to us. So longer longer trips will, will become less possible and probably uh, less logic too and that would be actually be a good positive things for local events if they they will run because 
local events and small events have been hardly impacted, uh, especially here in Europe. So we don't know if they're going ahead next year. I really hope so, because it's really important for local clubs to have their smaller events. So there will be races, um, but probably we will not travel as much as before, which, which is not totally bad per se. Yeah, that's right. I think uh, there's going to be a problem with the international travels also and uh, the, uh, the visa process itself uh, will take some time for streamlining. Uh, in, in fact, in India, we just started domestic travels uh, just a couple of months back and the air traffic is still at 30 to 40% of what it was earlier. So it's, it's going to take, I think it's more of a psychological uh, thing as well, what people of the world are facing right now. Yeah. How's that uh, affecting uh, your training and uh, of the trainees, like the coaching that you give to people? Uh, are you seeing any difference in the style of coaching and how people are taking health and fitness in general during these times? Yeah, it was different depending on the countries where they were from. I had athletes in Italy who didn't get out of their apartment for two months uh, just for grocery. So it was pretty tough. And we decided together to like, okay, well, what to do? Because I never coached people in these situations. So that was a challenge for me as well. So we had an open conversation and we decided that um, they, they, they still wanted a structure to just like give something to their daily routines to continue normally. Of course, it was not normal as before. So uh, they, they did a lot of turbo sessions, of course, on, on, on the trainers. And they all said they benefited a lot from, from all that turbo session. And I can see it also from their files. Uh, the, the power outputs and the tests we did were much higher, much higher than before, for sure. Running was hard because uh, these guys couldn't even run. So we had to find uh, something, something to do that could have replicated run for a little bit. Uh, a little bit. So we tried um, rope jumping. So we did some session of rope jumping, uh, one minute off, one minute on, and then play around with the intensities there. And that is actually something that replicates a little bit of the muscle involved in running. And if you have just one room available, it's, it's, it's good to try. And some, when, for some went better than others, others had like very, um, tight calves after that so we had to be careful also on that so it's definitely been a challenge uh, people in the UK were more allowed to do sports so we were allowed to go out once a day so I also was going out once a day for my run or my shorter cycle or yeah walk just to like uh, keep the, the mind healthy absolutely I think uh the times that have changed drastically, the home fitness scenario will continue to remain and uh, people would continue to, I think, train indoors as well, but avoiding gyms. And also, I think after a certain time when uh, the situation becomes better in different countries, people would start taking up outdoor sports as well. So in a way, it's good also for our sport of uh, running and uh, triathlons hoping more and more people take it up uh, in different countries, especially in India. It's a brand new sport and uh, the perspective that you have shared today 
would certainly help uh, a lot of uh, the Indian viewers and I'm sure the European uh, viewers as well. I hope so. Yeah. Nick, it would be nice to see more people in triathlon for sure. Absolutely. So Nick, uh, this brings us to the last segment of our uh, discussion. I call it the rapid fire round. Now, the rapid fire round is uh, a set of 10 questions, which I'm going to be asking you really quickly. You have hardly five seconds to think about it and answer. Okay. And uh, for the viewers, listeners, the questions are not rigged. He does not know anything. <laughs> None of these questions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's get started. The rapid fire round with Nick Busca from Italy. First question, Nick. In order of preference, uh, which is your favorite sport? Cycling, skiing, triathlon, or running? Mm, cycling. Cycling, running, swimming. But it's hard. They're very close. Okay. Uh, training in the morning or training at night? Or afternoon? Which do you... Morning, afternoon, night, I probably never do. Any specific reason? Are you a morning person? Not exact. I mean, I'm not super morning, not super early, but I prefer the morning. Okay. Uh, what do you like uh, more in cycling events? Uh, you like to uh, race in uh, ultra cycling events or triathlon cycling uh, like? Uh, triathlons for sure. Okay. Uh, because you're an Italian, uh, in order of food preference, uh, which, uh, and I, I don't have any options, uh, tell us the top five foods that you like. The Italian food. Top five? Yes, top five. And please yeah. put types types of pizzas. <laughs> there will be yeah <laughs> too long to go into the pizza, but I'm not a great Italian, so I'm not putting pasta first. I'm a bad Italian. I always I, I actually put favorite for me is actually steak and potatoes. Okay. Um, then I probably have a quinoa salad, a salad with mixed vegetables and chicken. Uh, well, pizza. On, on, on number three just because i want to be kind of healthier but the pizza which is good very good if you have very good ingredients number four um chocolate cake chocolate in general okay number five number i don't drink it's almost like a four soup a mix yeah winter winter soup with mixed vegetables i love that okay okay uh What's your most favorite locations that you have ever raced? Three most favorite locations you've raced in. Uh, the favorite location where I raced at, it's tricky. Probably the nicest one was uh, Austria, Selam's Day, 70.3. Nicest like location. Um, and then um, I would put Tallinn because it's very close to me, like now and the heart where I went very well. And then Copenhagen, first Ironman and uh, nice, nice atmosphere. Nice. Uh, Tallinn because you finished in nine hours, 45 minutes? 48. I would have not mind three minutes less, but no, 48, which was really good. I'm really happy about Okay. Uh, so you have raced in various altitudes and weathers. Uh, what do you prefer more, like racing, uh, training in flats or uh, high altitude or summer season, winter season? What's your favorite training season? 
for training, I prefer mountain training, like in the, in the mountains. I love it. It's just like what I'm, I'm, I'm used to since I was a kid. So it's, it's like going back to my roots. Racing, I would probably prefer rolling races, not completely flat by rolling. And uh, that was it, racing and training? No. Super. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that answers yeah. yes. Okay, uh, I've seen that you're present on various social media platforms like uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, and uh, Facebook. Uh, what do you prefer? The What's your favorite uh, platform? Uh, probably Twitter. Uh, I'm not really active on Twitter. I actually like follow people like uh, sports physiologists, journalists, so to like find news. But I like the fact, yeah, I like it more than the others. The way that it's just... Uh, it's journalist in you talking. All the <laughs> journalists and publications love uh, Twitter. Yeah, they're, yeah they're, they're all there screaming at each other. <laughs> looking for breaking news yes. okay uh, what is your most favorite uh, bike brand and why uh, you mean plan or train no uh, bike uh, your most favorite cycle uh, bicycle brand and why uh, brand yes I'm biased I own two canyons so I have canyon I have to I have to say canyon I just love a lot of what they do and the way they do it awesome yeah, I love that brand. You have to get me one. In India, we don't get it. I told you about the logistical problem and the duties. We have to try. We'll try. <laughs> okay. What are your uh, most favorite uh, shoe and apparel brands in triathlon? Shoes, uh, Sokuni. Okay. Because uh, I've been using them for six years and I always buy the same model and always work for me. The, the Kinvara. So, hands down to that. Uh, apparel brand. Um, I've been using uh, Sundried, which is a, 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 a brand made in the UK. Uh, and they do some interesting stuff with uh, recycling, uh, with re recycled shirts from either plastic or coffee waste. Wow. So that was pretty interesting. And I've been using them for a whole year now. And uh, yeah, I'm very happy with that. That's nice. Uh, brand with a cause. That's always good to uh, associate yourself with. Last yeah. one. Uh, black coffee or uh, normal regular coffee? What do you prefer? What, what do you mean with normal? Uh, latte, cappuccino. <laughs> no, the, uh, for me, the normal is the, co the opposite. It's black coffee. I mean, espresso. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, espresso is the normal, and then latte art <laughs> is the extra. No, espresso, black, like short espresso, long espresso, and then cappuccino. That's it. Awesome. Uh, that is something all our guests have in common. Everyone loves black coffee. All endurance uh, athletes, I think, love uh, have a bias towards uh, espresso or black coffee. Be careful with caffeine again if you want to sleep well. <laughs> Absolutely. No coffee after 7 p.m. is the rule. Oh, for me, it's 2 p.m. What are you saying? Yeah, yeah. 2 p.m. Okay. Awesome. I couldn't do any more. Amazing. Uh, thank you so much, Nick. You have been so kind with your uh, answers and uh, the way you've explained so many things. Any parting 
tips and uh, you know parting shots motivation for uh, triathlon and marathon trainees of tri fandry and people in general uh keep it simple i mean we can overthink and overcomplicate things a lot these days with uh, uh training methodologies kit data uh gear you can you can become really like complicated in triathlon triathlon is already complicated because it has three sports in one just try to keep it simple and do the easy stuff very well yeah i think that is one of the best advice you can have keep it simple uh, do not worry about uh, fancy equipment uh, over analysis of data uh, just keep it simple enjoy the sport enjoy the joy of uh, endurance sport it changes your life it changes your body it changes your uh, mental abilities thank you so much nick you have been so kind uh, you've uh, shared so much of your wisdom uh, with all our viewers uh, it's amazing to have you uh, thank you so much listeners uh, you have been kind enough to wait till this end uh, keep watching keep subscribe to the channel and uh, we will bring you amazing global guests and athletes across the world thank you so much have a great day if you enjoyed this story subscribe to my youtube channel try fantry and i will keep bringing you global stories of motivated individuals you can also write to me at coach@tryfantry.com keep training train into our conquer